0: I'm Max Gradel You are listening to Le Bouge.
1: His Neymar now, Cabani is there. Balletelli on the turn. Quality. Haloufa Camado. Oh, what a strike! An absolute beauty for Florian Tova. Oh, the pass is brilliant
0: for Pepe. Atova! The has surely won it in the 89th minute! Oh!
2: Wraps it up. Hello, bonjour et bienvenue. Welcome along to the latest Le jeu podcast. Coming up in the pod, Paris Saint-Germain asked for forgiveness. Rennes give the capital club some English lessons. Marseille and Mario keep on winning. While there's an Arsenal reunion at Nice as Gilles Grimondi teams up with Patrick Vieira. We'll also be getting the views of Robert Pires. Joining me in the pod, I've got uh, French football television presenter, Darren Tulett. Bonjour, Darren.
3: Good morning, Matt.
2: Great to have you on. Also great to have David Crossan with us. He is one of the voices of Ligue 1 around the world. What were you commentating this weekend, Dave? I commentated on the Ballatelico, Matt. Ballatelico. <laughs> we'll hear more about that later. And uh, we've got our Australian... Paris Saint-Germain specialist, the producer of uh, This Is Paris, the excellent weekly TV show on Paris Saint-Germain, Robert Thompson. Ladies and gentlemen.
1: Yes. Well, gentlemen, today as the case is.
2: <laughs> Robert has had uh, an interesting week following Paris Saint-Germain. It's been a tough period for the Ligue 1 leaders who uh, let slip a two-goal advantage uh, against Manchester United in the Champions League. They've crashed out at the last 16 stage for a third year running. For a lot of people, this was even worse than the remontada in Barcelona two years ago. Manchester United were missing 10 players and they still managed to win 3-1 at the Parc des Princes. It was a disaster. What has the mood been
1: like, Robbie, in the last week or so? Managed to win 3-1, Matt, without hardly having a shot at goal and certainly not one without a lot of help from Paris Saint-Germain. Look, I think it, it hurts all the more because of the first leg, just as the remontada did it. Things hurt more when you believe more. And and there was a whole lot of belief this year after with Thomas Tuchol and the charm offensive, with the players looking like they were coming together, Neymar showing he was more invested in the project this season. The 2-0 victory was a, such a solid performance as well. Look, and the, the higher you are flying, the heavier you come back down to earth, and it was a huge thud. Uh, on Wednesday night, Matt, you and I were sitting next to each other in, in the Parc des Princes watching the game. And, and I remember saying goodbye to you to go down and interview the players. Just in a, in a, I was in a state of shock, I can only imagine yeah. how, the, how the players were feeling. It was just shocking. And then yesterday, first training session back, the fans, well, there was a lot of miscommunication about what actually happened yesterday, whether they were invited to the Parc des Princes to come and watch as though it was some sort of morbid, come and, come and you know, let's just make this whole situation a whole lot worse. I think it was important, the fans, and particularly in France, and we were just discussing it before we started, fans in France, in Italy, in Spain need to feel like they have a voice, perhaps more than they do in, in, in Australia, certainly, or, or in England. It's more of this Latin culture. They don't have our, our Anglo reserve, perhaps. They they feel they, they have more rights, and I think they felt a right to go and insult the Paris Saint-Germain players yesterday or just to let them know that they were hurting so much. And I think certain players felt they needed to express something as well, and and in the end, it, it is what it is, what happened yesterday. The only answer, really, for Paris Saint-Germain is to answer on the pitch, no matter how hard it will be.
3: There's a few things to add here, because, um, first of all, after that defeat, I guess this was worked out beforehand, but the PSG players had three days' holiday, uh, which kind of didn't go down that well uh, with a lot of the supporters. You know, oh, well done, chaps, have a few days off. Um that was hey, maybe a miscalculation. A lot of people were, were of the opinion that, you know...
4: Well, they did have their game postponed. Get they them, get them to back in Nantes, the next day. Punish happen. them. Make them train early. Running,
3: running uh, at six yeah, o'clock in I'm the not, morning. Yeah, I'm not saying that was the solution, but of course, yeah, the fact that their weekend game was off uh, meant that the coach decided they could have three days off.
2: Yeah, as, as Dave, Dave mentioned, all this this happened. They had the time off as well because their match against Nantes was was postponed. So PSG not in action in the league uh, this this weekend. Adrian Rabio uh, got the brunt of the of 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 the abuse by all accounts at the at the Parc des Princes Rabio who was out night clubbing uh, on the Wednesday night after the game after the game and he has, has not been included in, in been any of that, the games and frozen out i yeah. mean
1: this is all the perception though Matt. the same idea of 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 perception of giving the the players 3 days off they've been playing an awful lot of football and probably the best way to to get going again after such a shock is to have a break of 3 days and say look Let's get this out of the system now. Try and forget as best you can and come back next week fresh. Look, we have to finish the season. We still have things to win. Take a break. Let's come back. But the perception, because football is not like any other business in the world, the perception from the fans looking at it is what the hell is going on here? Robbie, you're very nice, as
2: ever, to your to your PSG <laughs> boys. I think there's a question of, uh, personally, I think it's a question of respect as well, not just to... to 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 the fans, but to your teammates, yes, Adrian Rabio hasn't been included. Was that the night to go night clubbing and to to get videos yourself? Let's just well, what was he doing nightclubbing, though? Robbie, was he there
1: to celebrate his uh, a birthday of his best I don't friend? Know. Was he?
2: Nobody knows, Matt. Let's focus just perception on exactly. on, on on the football because the debacle <laughs> happened on the football pitch. It's a a real blow for French football. As I mentioned earlier, we were lucky enough to speak to Robert Pires, and he had. A strong view, I think it's fair to say, about why things went wrong for PSG on Wednesday night.
0: I think when you play against Manu, it's uh, it's a great a great team for for forever because it's not only you know Manu is not only one or two or three players. It's the team. It's the pass. Is the Ferguson. Is the Cantona. So you know it's a big um, he's a big. How you call it? It's a big uh, big house. Yeah. So so that's why for me, I think for for Saint it was a big mistake. Uh, to say, yeah, okay, we won uh, two nil against uh, against Manu, and I think uh, we have a lot of chance to qualify it. But so no, uh, no, I think um, we play. I think the the guy of Paris Saint-Germain, they play maybe too more uh, uh, two more relaxed. Uh, they yeah. don't put the, they don't put the aggressivity. Uh, they forgot the spirit on the on the field. And when you you know when you you know, Matt, when you play against an English team, you need, uh, you need a spirit, you need a commitment. So for me, it was a big, big mistake about the uh, Paris Saint-Germain players.
2: So it's interesting what, what Robert is saying. Effectively, PSG don't yet have that experience, the history that Manchester United have. Do you, do you think the point is valid, Dave? No.
3: <laughs> would you like to develop Okay, I'll, I'll expand on that though. Were, were
2: Sir Alex
4: Ferguson and Eric Cantona on the pitch was Cantona even good in the European games for Manchester United no did those men in the stands make Buffon make that horrendous error did they force Keira to pass it directly to an opposing player no matter how good your institution is if individuals make abysmal mistakes like that which they don't for the rest of the season then you're going to lose and for all that's said about Paris Saint-Germain, I do worry about them psychologically. I see them now almost like an Olympic athlete that knows that they're going to be judged around the springtime each year, and they're not managing to peak for that. So maybe they should be speaking to some successful Olympic isn't athletes that and point? find out
2: how to how to do it. Isn't that the point that Robert Pires was, was making, that psychologically they didn't go into that in, in, in the right mindset? They thought the game was basically won at Old Trafford, and that is something that comes... With, with with experience of, of dealing with these situations. I think psychologically,
4: I really noticed things in the last half an hour that uh, Danny Alves was a bit like you, Matt, in the third set of a game at your local tennis club. He couldn't run anymore. <laughs> if the ball came to him, he could do something OK with it. But otherwise, awful. Thiago um, yeah, Silva he started he, and retreating. He lost
3: the ball as well for the... Yeah, I don't think Dave. I don't think you've round. ever
4: taken me to a third. Keep, keep going. <laughs> Thiago Silva retreated towards his own penalty area. It was a, I was in the new Camp for the Remontada game, um, and actually the the refereeing was even worse in the Remontada game than it was uh, in the game last week at the Parc des Princes because Di Maria should have had the penalty if people remember. Mm. And, and there was no penalty on on Suarez.
1: I was there as well. I haven't forgotten. <laughs> back on topic Not back on topic to guys what what, what to us, topic you... i don't think there were any refereeing real issues on on wednesday night but i it's think like, it's like issue at the end no the penalty yes. well yes but i mean rule of the letter of the law is there's a penalty the, the arm is away from the body it hits him he's inside the penalty box then you have again it go, comes down to interpretation of the referee's interpretation of it at first he gave a corner did he see that it hit the arm uh, if he saw if he gave a corner it means he saw there was a deflection so, but that's not the point. I think th- this whole psychological thing, are we talking mystic forces? Are we talking strange, crazy things happening to Paris Saint-Germain? Or are, are, we, are, we, are we saying that they were excellent in that first leg? And how can you then justify being so good in the first leg at Old Trafford and then so poor in the return leg?
3: I think there are two things uh, to say. First of all, this huge and... and Pretty justified debate, I guess, because they have gone out and this is a, a huge flop for them. But let's not forget that without that extra time ball smashing into somebody's elbow, they're still in the competition and everyone would just be going, well, okay, you know, it wasn't such a great well, game. Well, does
1: anybody think that Paris finals, were second you know? best on Wednesday no, no, either? Of course not. Of course Manchester United so, were not in the game. So, you know,
3: in, in many ways this is the, this is also the beauty of football, you know, one tiny thing, you know, a shot which comes back off the post rather than going in, and suddenly we're ready to change everything, you know. Do we need a new manager? How many players must we get rid of? You know? Do we need to change the rules one, of the game? Penalty, is, you know?
1: what, what is the interpretation? But of the there United is, United is as to? as
3: they were saying there is a psychological thing. It reminded me of England's problems with with penalties, you know, the penalty shootouts that England could never win uh, for year after year even though it's different players. Then there's that weight of fate on your shoulders. You may be from a t- completely different generation, you may not have been involved in previous failures, but there's something going on and it can, you can't avoid it. And with PSG, um, there is this kind of feeling that, well, you know what, it can happen to us, you know? That's I was talking it. to the PSG fans beforehand, you know, saying, hey, you know, like, United are decimated, you know, you've mm-hmm. done, you know, you had a great performance there, you dominated, there's nothing to worry about. I was wrong, of course, like most people. But My PSG fan friends were saying, you know what, I'm not, I'm not cool about this at all, I still yeah, think we can Anything can, lose can it. happen. Anything can happen yeah, to I, us, I, we're I capable that. of losing.
1: Is it, is it to do with a lack of respect for the institution though? I mean Dave, you're, you're saying no, it's, it's, it's not because we, don't, we haven't won the Champions League, we're not this all-powerful thing, we can't make it happen. I, th- I don't think it's about disrespecting Manchester United, perhaps somewhere along the line it's about having a lack of respect for football and what can happen in football possibly. Not having a midfield as well, but that's another point
4: for the summer, probably.
3: Wasn't there a little problem with with arrogance, perhaps, as well? You know, because uh, we've seen that or heard uh, Kim Pembe speaking about uh, their preparation, and he was saying maybe one of the problems was that they went into this game uh, feeling that it was already done, you know, and that when you hear a player talking like that before such an important match, you know, suggesting that. In the players' minds, you know, there was nothing to do, that it was all over and done with. Pretty worrying you know, that, uh, that a team of that level, with, that, with those ambitions, can go into a game in such a bad mindset.
2: Well, after the PSG debacle, Rennes got everybody happy again in France on, uh, on Thursday evening. And uh, it was a stirring performance from Julian stephan's side to beat Arsenal 3-1. They repeated... It was bizarre actually on Sunday. Almost an identical scenario. Ren were playing at home against Con, Arguably less illustrious opponents. Con <laughs> second bottom. Struggling con second from bottom. But Con took the lead through Casimir Ninga. Um con then had a, a player sent off, just like Arsenal did on Thursday night. Wren scored from a free kick, Benjamin Bourgeois. This time he didn't need the, the ball coming back at him off the wall. He played it straight in. And then two more goals. Ismail Assar, absolutely exceptional, setting up goals for Adrian Unu and uh, Mbain It finished 3-1 to Rennes, just like it did against Arsenal. Um, Rennes getting everybody feeling feeling good in France because they were superb against Real Betis. They've turned Arsenal over and they're in a, a terrific position to try to go through at the Emirates on Thursday.
1: Yes. <laughs> no, so, it's so, been a it's uh, the the thing about Ren is is just how under this new coach they have a feel good there's a great atmosphere within the squad under uh, Julien Stefan. I think that's what he's done more than anything else is just let the, give them this belief and this renegade attacking idea that whatever happens we're going to go down firing, we're going to go down shooting and for the moment they're riding that wave and things are things are working for them. It they're not a club like Paris Saint-Germain or Juventus. They're not a giant institution that can't afford to get carried away with successes if we go back to, to what's happened with Paris. They're the exact opposite. They're the AS Roma that need to ride this wave, this this great feeling of confidence and make things happen. And I think it's working for them. Romanticism, romantic, romantic.
3: Maybe more like Empoli than AS Roma. Uh, I, <laughs> I see what you did there with the Ren and Renegade. Very nice. Uh, yeah, but they're on great form. And, and one of the questions is, you know, uh, can they continue to to ride this wave? And also, of course, once the summer comes, can they hold on to one or two of the uh, the very excellent players who are well, doing so well? Well, they're going so to well? make a packet Saar, load
1: of money if they don't hold on to the likes of Saar.
3: Saar is a fantastic player, isn't he? And he's mm. been doing really well.
1: And he cost them a pretty penny as well last summer. Yeah, he, he cost, cost about 18 million money. when he mm. joined from Mets.
4: And um, well, he's a player who gets fouled even more than Neymar. He mm. was butchered by Kevin Teofield-Catrine, I think it was, in a game against Saint-Etienne quite early in his Rennes days. Uh, what I really like about Ren, they've got some lovely footballers. Uh, Clement Grenier's resurrection has been mm. superb. I, I have my doubts about him physically. Was he able to play as one of the two in midfield? And he's done that really well this season alongside Benjamin André.
1: Benjamin André, for me, is one of the most underrated no, solid no, midfielders. I don't go along with that, but there we go. We'll carry on. <laughs> Adam Ben-Arthur <laughs> has, has
4: been very, very good as well once he got fit, uh, especially in these big European matches. Uh, Bourjois, the cut price, David Beckham, it uh, doesn't need to beat a man to cross the ball well. Very good from free kicks. Is the same haircut, just about? Similar, yeah, good footballer's <laughs> haircut. And then, um, yeah, there's pace and power <laughs> in the advanced positions with Saar in particular, but also Mbain Young. And I'm really interested in the way that he's integrated Unu recently because you're never quite sure what Adrian Unu's real position is. But he obviously applies what Julian Stefan wants as the centre forward. I think he's more of an attacking midfielder still. Mm. But... He fits into that system and they're doing really, really well.
3: And Julien Stéphane, uh, for people who don't, don't follow French football as closely as we do, uh, is the son of Guy Stéphane. And Guy Stéphane is the number two to Didier Deschamps uh, with the France national team. It has been uh, with Deschamps for a while. They were mm. also champions of France with, with Marseille. And before that, Guy Stéphane was a, was a coach in his own right with Lyon and other team, teams. So we have a whole family story going on. And Julien Stéphane was the guy that Thierry Henry wanted to take as his number two when he arrived in Monaco. And Rennes, as we can now see, quite rightly said... No way, Jose.
2: He's, um, he's clearly a very bright young coach and he is impressing people, including, including Robert Pires, who spoke to us about Ren's performance. Robert was obviously a little bit sad to see his Arsenal side lose 3-1 at uh, Rozon Park. But uh, we mentioned those players. We've got Bourjo usually lining up on the left-hand side, Ismail Assar on the right, and then Ben Arfa just playing behind either Mbignong or Adrian Unu, as was the, uh, the case against Arsenal and Robert Perez is really enjoying the way that uh, that uh, Julian Stefan is setting his team up.
0: He, he want to play with the old school you know the 4-4-2 but when you have the player they can play on this tactic it's amazing because you can you can uh, you can attack with four or five players uh, defensively they they have a strong uh, strong player um, so is it. For the for the first season for him and especially for uh, for Rennes. yeah, is a it's a great surprise.
2: Yeah. So, Dave, do you think Julian Stefan will be as bold on Thursday and will go to the Emirates with those attacking players as he did at, at, at Real Betis and they managed to win three one there? I think he should
4: be as bold because if Rennes managed to score, then that only heightens Arsenal's problems. I might take a, a slight issue, far be it from me to do that with someone of Robert Perez's caliber. I don't think it's a 4 4 2. Ben Arthur plays in a more withdrawn role. It's more like a 4 2 3 1. But it is good to see uh, that attacking approach.
3: Shocking numbers round on this first podcast.
4: 4 4 1 1. Don't go there, Rob. <laughs> don't do Ooh. it. Don't do it. um I, I think it's a case of Stefan getting the best out of the players he's got available. If he had. A squad like Patrick Vieira's at Nice, you'd have to play in a very different fashion. But at mm. Rennes, they have these ball players; they have
2: pace. That's
4: the best way to play. But He's you know what's great? It. What
2: I find refreshing is somebody who has uh, commentated, goodness knows how many hundred uh, Liga matches, and seen <laughs> three defensive midfielders and uh, a lone striker, and teams defending and defending. You know, we talk about this four-four-two, whatever you want to call it. Ben Arthur playing behind a forward, two proper attacking guys on the flanks. Even the two midfielders. So you've got Benjamin Andres, more of a sitter, but technically excellent. Clément Grenier has played as a, as a number 10 in, in his career. These are really good footballers. And I haven't seen, you know, let's take PSG out of the equation because they've got a ridiculous number of top players. But I haven't seen a league outside playing in Europe like this with, with, with so many footballers, so many attacking footballers.
1: He's a young coach as well, which is, it means he hasn't necessarily come through the, uh, the French coaches' system at Clairefontaine, which uh, of course was so influenced by uh, Jacquet after winning the World Cup in, in 98, this idea of, of playing for a result. There's no team that can play for a result like a French league inside. They, they, they can value, they, they work out every match, how they're going to get points. We can get one point there, one point there. Maybe we can get three points there. Anything we get away there is a bonus. And they planify their whole season. Plan their whole season for how they can how how they can pick up points left and right that's not the case with this young coach who also obviously has the players and decides i'm going to play to my players strengths most coaches will tell you it's not the formation it's not whether you play 4-2-3-1 or 4-4-2 it's the mentality that you play with these players and to to tell your players look we've got this many attacking players that know how to play football go out and play your game within this system you have certain Defensive obligations. You have tactical orders you have to follow, but go and play your
2: football. And we, we come back to, to mentality again, because I think maybe not all our listeners are, are familiar with Rennes, who haven't won a trophy since 1971, and they've become, unfortunately for them, the perennial losers in France. They've, they've made it to two cup finals recently, and uh, uh, I think their fans wish they hadn't, because they, they went to the final and they lost to Gangon, who were there their, their neighbours, minnows, a, a little village sort of outside outside of Rennes. So it was a really embarrassing experience. but And a League Cup final loss as well. And a League Saint-Tien. Cup final. Three finals they've they've lost. They consistently underperformed. But that mentality, it, it looks to be changing now, Darren, doesn't it? And they're going to need that mentality on, on Thursday.
3: Yeah, I'm going to be fascinated to see what's going to happen away to Arsenal, whether they're going to go out and play as they can play or will they... Will they be hit by the occasion, you know, and perhaps freeze because you know it's not every day that they play against a, a team so illustrious and in such a big stadium with, uh, hopefully for Arsenal anyway, you know, so, some some powerful home support. Although that's not guaranteed. Um, I, I think they can beat Arsenal. I think they can go through to the next round.
4: But it's one of those, Matt. Like we'll probably be sitting here in two months' time and saying, "Oh, Rennes season fell apart. They went out of the Coupe de France at the semi-final stage. They fell at the Emirates, and they failed to qualify for Europe through the league." And you won't be saying as complimentary <laughs> things. And, that's, but
2: and, that, and everyone forgets what we Rennes said we today.
1: Know.
2: <laughs> Listen, I was I was at Rose and Park on, on Thursday, and there's something very special going on. every around, doesn't he, Matt? <laughs> I, I had
1: three galette saucisses because I've I've heard so much about these. Uh... Did you go to the one just next to the away fans entrance, the one opposite the car park there, where the players arrive? I That's went, my I, personal favourite. I got one. I got
2: yeah. yellow and green one.
3: The and famous galette saucisse. You have to explain to people what. That so is. it's
2: it's basically like a savoury sort a savory crepe, crepe. With, a, with, yeah. with a sausage inside. And
1: uh, I go with just mustard. Personally. The, well, the lady said to me, "Do you
2: want it nature?" which sort of means plain. So I was like, I, I wasn't sure what she was going to throw in. So I said, oui, oui, uh, nature, nature. And, uh, and then she just gave it to me. It was all a bit dry. So I had to go back and say, can I get a bit of ketchup in that in that, please? So I had one outside the main stand and then two in the, in, in the press area. That's probably why you got those problems in the third set, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but apart from the Galette saucis, the atmosphere, absolutely electric, 35,000 people and Arsenal, I think Unai Emery warned them. I think Obama, Young, and Lacazette knew that it was going to be a tough game, but I think they were still surprised by, by what hit them in Brittany last Thursday. Moving on, Marseille in terrific form at the moment. Really uh, an incredible turnaround. I think it's five wins and one draw now in six. But uh, Dave, you had the pleasure or not of commentating their game against Nice. I saw it. They won 1-0. Um, it was Mario Balotelli's... Uh, uh, big no, night really playing no. against his uh, his his former team but well Balotelli delivered didn't he? he he headed in I think it was across from Lucas Acampos um, Marseille ran out 1-0 victors an important win for them but there wasn't a lot in this game
4: no 50,000 plus crowd Derby du Sud massive match the Balotellico. um is it, is it only you calling it the Balotelico or uh, if, if you read La Provence, which I know you do from time to time, Matt, the local Marseille newspaper, they were all over the Balotelico. Uh, interestingly enough, and I know you like it if I give you a stat, Matt, um, Balotelli's now scored as many goals for Marseille as he scored against them for Nice. And he scored in every game he's ever played at the Velodrome, twice for Nice, and now four times for Marseille, first player to score in his first four home games for 45 years. Uh, but you're right, it was not a great spectacle uh, this Sunday evening game. Probably best watched in a 90-second highlights form, just so you can see Tovan curling one towards the top corner and Benitez tipping it over and then just look at the goal and the paper-scissors-stone celebration of Balotelli and Tovan, which they've been working on in training.
2: Yeah, that was that was impressive. So after the iPhone uh, celebration the weekend, before Balotelli got the paper-scissors-stones going, Dave, uh, any any ideas for her? Because there's a big game coming up. We'll talk about that next, uh, next Sunday, PSG against Marseille. What will Mario do if he scores at the Parc des Princes?
4: Well, I know Mario's an avid listener to this show, Florian Tovan, as well. So when they listen after training, <laughs> I, I do have a suggestion for them that uh, it involves Balotelli's reputation from his Manchester City days and a tribute to the late prodigy singer Keith Flint. That wow, Balotelli good. is the fire starter, we know that, so that they can work on this <laughs> elaborate routine and... Adol Rami doesn't have much to do these days because he wasn't even on the bench against Nice. But we know he's handy with a fire extinguisher and that his girlfriend, (laughs) Pamela Anderson, has life-saving skills. So maybe they could be on hand after Balotelli and Tobin start some fire, maybe with some flint. You see what I'm doing here? Keith Flint, some flint. Get the fire going. And then Rami and Pamela Anderson can come
1: along with the fire extinguisher and sort it all out. And I'm sure the Parc de France would love it. I or love it go already. around the world. Well, I think we'd all love it. You, you obviously <laughs> didn't have too much to go on during the match yesterday, Dave. I had a lot of weren't thinking that many time. chances. <laughs> nice work, Dave. Yeah, but, bonus, bonus but it, point
3: It, it is Dave. fascinating. You know, the, the Mario Bellotelli is one of these guys, you know, you, it just absolutely fascinates us. He was hopeless for Nice in the first half of the season. And some of his uh, teammates have dared, you know, to say in the press this week... You know, how they were so disappointed in, in him. They yeah, had
4: a little on-pitch dispute with Malong Sar, the 20-year-old yes. defender, who came out and said, mm-hmm. he leaves me indifferent, we're actually angry with him. Most of the other Nice players had quite warm words, but towards the end of the game, they had to be separated by Valo Germain, another former Nice player, a very diplomatic sort, because Balotelli was saying to Saul, oh, why did you say that?
3: Yeah. But, well, you can totally understand why he said that. I mean, uh, he obviously, he does come across as like the kind of guy who everyone loves to have in their team, you know, and before mm-hmm. the game... Uh, Hats off to him. He went off, went over, and, and you know, and greeted every player on the bench, and everybody on the bench at, at the Nice side to say hi and everything. And you know, he seems like uh, the guy you want on your side. But, but like, like I was saying with Nice this season, he's been hopeless. He was just wandering around, wasn't he? You know, like.
1: But the first two contributing seasons nice, nothing. The, yes. His first two seasons at Nice, he was a hero. Yes. He was an absolute legend. I think that's why perhaps the fans and probably some of the players like Malang feel all the more the betrayed by course. him because he wanted to go to Marseille last summer the move didn't happen, and, and when you have a move like that where you don't sh- show up to training, when you're shown going, doing your medical in summer at the commandery in Marseille, and then you come back because the deal doesn't happen and you don't score a single goal, and you, you're overweight and you don't, you're clearly not making the effort. All of that, the betrayal is all, all the greater.
3: He's a short-term guy. He needs the buzz and the adrenaline of something new uh, regularly, you know? mm-hmm. it's a bit like a kid you who know, needs new toys all the time. You know, um, He's arrived at Marseille. And we knew it, it, was, it was total hit or miss. Either he's going to be a, a complete flop from the beginning, and he would turn the crowd against him very quickly. And this is a crowd that does turn against you extremely uh, fast. But if you're if you're performing and if you're scoring goals, then you they will put you on a pedestal and they will love you to bits. And he is feeding off that right now and absolutely loving it.
2: Just thinking back, Darren, to to to, to your anecdote you told us recently about uh, you on the on the Vypour being carried. Uh, above the Marseille supporters' uh, shoulders. So you, you you know what it's like to be adored. The fervour wow. of Marseille <laughs> is quite but something. There, there, there was, was there a incredible... chance you were hit or miss, Darren, that day in Marseille? It there, there, there was either yes. gonna, you were going to be up there or a flop. <laughs> there was an incredible sequence um, on, on French television recently where, where Balotelli was sitting on the steps at, at the training ground talking to Patrick Vieira. And Balotelli was saying, I'm fed up training with these guys. They haven't given me one good pass. All, all afternoon, I'm I want to go and play for a big club. It was, it, it was amazing that it got leaked and clearly his motivation had gone in the first half of the season. What I want to know, Robbie, is is, you know, is he going to kick on now? Because five goals, he's got Marseille up in fourth. They're only three points behind Lyon. They, they could qualify for the Champions League. They could finish in, in, in the top three. Is Marseille the club for him? And is Rudy Garcia the manager for him? Because Garcia was getting a lot of stick during that two or three month period when Marseille couldn't win, all the fans wanted wanted him out. Our producer Ian has asked me if I think Rudy Garcia is perhaps a little bit like like Jurgen Klopp in insofar as he's very passionate and hot tempered. Uh, I think he's certainly good at, at queuing up the excuses like Jurgen is at the moment. Sorry about that, Liverpool fans. But uh, but Robbie, is you know is this going to kick on now, Balotelli and Marseille?
1: I think he is because there's no doubt Marseille have the talent around mario balotelli i think what they lacked this season was that focal point for all that for all their build-up play they've got wide men like payet like ocampos like Tovant that can that can supply ammunition in but all they had was mitroglou or germain i like valer germain i think he's an intelligent footballer but he lacks the power and the speed to play alone or to be your central striker he's he's a complement to another big man mitroglou wasn't that player and I think Balotelli is. And when you have that focal point, it just shows you, perhaps, for, for people listening as well, you can have 10 pieces of a puzzle. If you don't have that 11th piece of the puzzle, then your puzzle is not complete. It's, it's, it's obvious, but simple. And here, Rudy Garcia has wanted Balotelli for a long time. He's obviously got the Italian link from having coached in Italy as well. He, he knows how to bring in these players. He worked with Eden Hazard. He brought the best out of him. He brought the best out of Gervinho, who we never saw the best of again as well. Another mercurial player at Lille when they won the league. Now he's got this player that he knows how to talk to him. He knows how to bring the best out of these players. I think Balotelli and Rudy Garcia is a perfect mix. Well, we talked about Marseille's attacking options.
2: It's much tougher for, for Patrick Vieira at Nice. They were defeated 1-0 at the Velodrome. They've scored just two goals in their last six I would say they're missing Balotelli, but he didn't contribute much in in the first half of the season. But uh, again, I'll go to you, Dave, because you you commentated this game. Um, and Maximant, pretty much the the only threat at at Nice these days. Do you, do you feel for Patriot? I I should say they're they're ninth in the league. Vieira has had a lot to, to contend with this season. The, the, the club president is stepping down. He's had issues with, with Balotelli. They sold good players last summer, like uh, Alessandro
1: Alessand true. Probably Jean, they're missing more than Balotelli. Jean-Michel
2: Serri as well. Um, do you think Vieira is doing a good job and uh, should Nice be scoring more goals? Or, or is it just a case of they don't have the forwards?
4: I think he's doing really well. Uh, I alluded to this earlier when we were talking about Julien Stefan. He doesn't have the players to play mm. attacking football. They've only scored 20 goals this season. San Maximan's got six of them. He's managed to turn those 20 goals into 40 points. They've only conceded 28 goals. Benitez had a spell earlier in the season where he went unbeaten for nearly 650 minutes. You can't do much more, but you also can't expect San Maximan to get the ball on halfway, dribble past everyone and score a goal, which seems to be their only route to scoring (laughs) at the moment. And he did have one run from halfway against Marseille, which ended with him firing a shot straight at Mondonda. And Marseille knew Stop San maximin You stop Nice And The young forwards That they've got In their books Ganago and Malida were injured But they don't score anyway uh, It's really tricky For Vieira It's something that Gautier Ganai The new president Who's only 31 Which makes me feel really old Has mm-hmm. to address in the summer Probably by selling San maximin And then spending The money wisely
3: yeah, this is a big uh, turning point and a big test for Nice now because they've been building something interesting down there mm. uh, on the south coast. They had their, their new stadium, really great. A new modern, training centre as well. Yeah. So everything's in place for them to step up. Uh, now is the ambition there, and by ambition, of course, we mean money, because uh, they need to invest on the playing side now. It's no good having all those facilities if you're not going to uh, get the players in to, to move up the table and start threatening uh, and playing for European places. This is why, I guess, uh, Vieira joined, because there is that... You know, that desire down there and there's a fan base and a stadium and everything um but this season he's he's really having to struggle and uh I'm kind of encouraged to see that you know he's brought in Gilles Grimondi because that means that he's he's banking on staying there for a while
2: you mentioned Darren Gilles Grimondi is coming in they're going to need to buy well this summer if if Viera is going to is going to kick on so uh, we're going to hear now from uh, from Robert Pires, who of course knows Patrick Vieira incredibly well and also knows Gilles Grimondi, the new technical director of Nice,
0: very well. You know, Gilles, he was a scout uh, for Arsenal since a long, long time, especially for Arsene Wenger. So um, all the players uh, in, uh, in France, uh, he knows uh, he, can, uh, he can watch uh, some games, some players. Um, and uh, if uh, Patrick says, yeah, I need to, uh, to Gilles, it's because Gilles, I think they can help. Uh, Patrick for maybe to build a good team for the for the next uh, next season so uh, so for Patrick and for and for Nice uh, to, to signing uh, Gilles Grimondi yes is a good deal.
2: Now moving on another big European game coming up uh, this week for Olympique Lyonnais. Lyon who just blow hot and cold week in week out this season they were 2-0 up uh, away to Strasbourg, Moussa Dembélé continuing his really good form in front of goal with with two goals. It looked like they were cruising, but then what happened? Uh, they conceded two goals in a minute against Strasbourg. They drew two two, which could be a costly uh, a costly result for them because uh, Strasbourg um, Strasbourg taking taking those two points off Leon and Leon losing ground on on Lille in the battle for Champions League qualification. It's a big week for them. Darren, they're going into this Barcelona game after a nil-nil draw in the first leg. First of all, do you think do you think the weekend is going to prove a setback for them psychologically going into this game?
3: No, I don't think so. Matt, they've been doing this all season, you know, and it doesn't seem to make any difference one game to the next. I was at the uh, the home game between Barcelona uh, between uh, Lyon and Barcelona, and Lyon uh, played really well in the first forty-five minutes, and then physically they they suffered afterwards, and that was to be expected. Well, uh, you're always going to suffer against Barcelona, exactly. aren't you? I mean, yeah, I mean, you don't they the They football. They nicked the ball and wouldn't give it yeah. back, uh, which is not very polite when you're playing on someone else's pitch. But anyway, <laughs> uh, Lyon held held on, and a 0-0 result isn't so bad, really, because you know what the situation is now. If they manage to score a goal, then Barcelona have to get two. So so why not go there with a little bit of hope? And I'm fueled. Uh, my hope is fueled by what they did already this season in the Champions League. You know, they, they were the first team to, to win against Manchester City. They performed brilliantly uh, away to the English club and really seize their opportunities. When they had a chance, they put it away. Uh, they defended really well and they have some great players in midfield who can, uh, on their day, rival any other team. My, my worry is that they are young, uh, those, those midfielders, Ndombele and Awa and, and Toussaint, if he plays. They're very inexperienced uh, at this level. Uh, it's one of those nights where uh, they could crack you know, and they could, they could be beaten 5-0. Uh, but if everything goes to plan and they have a little bit of luck, they could also pull off a major shock.
1: Of course, they could, and they also have a man by the name of Memphis Depay, who has always said he should be playing for someone like Barcelona, if even there, and that maybe not quite good enough for him because he is one of the greatest players in the world by by his own uh, opinion. And look, this is if ever there was a time to show it and to do it, this is it. And I think he can do it. I think Memphis Depay is a is a superb player, and now he has to put has to show you know actions speak louder than words now he has to do it i think he can and why not and i think it goes back to what
2: we were talking about at the top of the the pod having that that culture having that that european experience and actually Lyon do have that more than 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 paris saint germain perhaps not this current Lyon team but but the football club i used to to go working uh, on their games when uh, when juninho was pinging in free kicks against real madrid when they were putting seven goals past werder bremen with with, with michael Essien and uh, i think what they've done i'm not going to compare leon with with manchester united but you do see guys who were there like uh, like chris like claudio Casapa, who were still part of the club's coaching staff and passing on that knowledge one man who certainly has european culture is leon's right back rafael de silva who uh, who actually won the champions league in a sort of watching brief it was just after he signed for manchester united that united won the uh, Won the Champions League, he's playing for Leon these days, and he gave us his thoughts ahead of Wednesday's big game.
0: After everything we we achieved against the biggest team this season, uh, of course Barcelona is different. But uh, we 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 know we we couldn't do something. You know, we know we we have the team to to surprise everybody. And uh, I think that's that's uh, the case. That's what's the case in this game. You know, uh, we had the chance. Of course, Barcelona have many chances as well just to score, but uh, still, the game was uh, was zero zero. And uh, we know over there now uh, we have the chance because we have quality players to to win. It's eleven against eleven, and let's see what's happened.
1: David
2: Crossan, you've been watching Lyon a lot this season. How do you think they should uh, approach this game? Obviously. If they can get the uh, the away goal after a nil nil draw in the in the first leg, that would put them in a strong position.
4: It would, but uh, Bruno Genesio is going to be starting looking at his team lineup with the defence because Marcelo went off injured at the weekend against Strasbourg. It's going to be touch and go as to whether he can play a little bit similar to Jason Denier before the first leg against Barcelona. And I hope for Leon's sake that Marcelo does recover, even if he's not having as good a season this season as he did last campaign, because otherwise they're going to have to play. Someone out of position. Uh, Martial has been converted into a centre-half in a bit of the way mm. that Jeremy in Morel was converted from left-back mm. to a centre-half. More in a three-man defence, as Rob says. Uh, and he's the most likely understudy, should Marcelo not make it. And I think if Marcelo doesn't make it, that will seriously diminish Leon's chances of going through. Otherwise, yes, they do have to attack, but they also have to be careful not to leave as much space in behind and Ndombele and Aouar as they did in the first leg which
1: allowed Barca's attackers just to run straight at Denier and Marcelo. It's, it's the key, isn't it? To We talk about Ren and how they have to attack. Do you do that against Barcelona? I'm not sure that's such a good idea because you know that they're going to have the football. Even if you're used to playing with 60% of the ball, you know against Barcelona you're not going to have the football. That's just the way it is. I'm not sure going all out attack because, as Darren just said, their young midfielders, Awa and Ndombele, are great going forward, great linking with attack. You've got Pace in Corne and Traore. You've got Guile with with Depay. You've got Fekir, who's a superb player as well. You've got Moussa Dembele, who can score goals. Everything says this side should be one that should go out and attack. I'm not sure that's the answer, though. But Genesio has also shown that when they need to button down the hatches, they can as well, like they did at City. But surely, that's what I was going to say. They they
2: have the example, don't they, of that match at at Manchester City where they played football, but in a very organised way, and their mm. counter-attacking that day was absolutely superb. And you know, Manchester City and Barcelona are not identical, but they have the Pep Guardiola uh, thing in common. And uh, you know, Leon, 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 if they can do that, you mentioned Nabil Fekir, he, Jean-Michel Olas, the Leon president, always says he's our ah, Lionel Messi. The chance for him to show that.
3: Yeah, well, this is this is the stage for for Fekir, and he really does have to to show the world, you know, what he's capable of. Last summer. Uh, of course, he was very close to signing for Liverpool. That fell through. It took him a little while to get over that. He was with the French at the World Cup, of course, without really playing a, a great deal. He is a superb player, um, but physically, uh, we always have a little worry about him. You know, he needs to be uh, 100% on top of his game for his game to, to to have impact. But when he's on form, wow, what a player! He really is a, a master of his craft. He's one of those. He reminds me sometimes of Eden Hazard in, in the way that. You know, he's got a low centre of gravity. Uh, he's got a, he's got firm buttocks, shall we say? Uh, knows how to protect the ball. <laughs> you know what I mean? A little guy who's like, who's pretty strong. Uh Hazard, Hazard had to had to learn that when he went to his to protect the ball. Yeah, and, and <laughs> Fekir's is like that. You know, he can he can look like he's almost crouched over the ball before springing away from a defender. Uh, he's really impressive. He's got a great shot on him. Fantastic free kick taker as well. In France, we've seen him score from the halfway line. You know. This is the stage for him. And I really hope that he takes it and, and plays a great game for
4: What Lyon. they did against City, Matt, just one last point on that, was they really pressed City in the first 20 minutes. So will they have the nerve to try and do the same in the new Camp and not just watch Barca play, not just watch them knock it around? I don't know. It's, it's a much different game to a first game in the
1: Champions League group stage. The pressure's on and it will be much harder for them to do it. But they can do it. I think that anyone that says... It's all over that Leon can't do it now. They should have scored away. They should have a lead from the first half. Well, they can do it. That's the bottom line. In football, we get examples of it every week. Leon can do it. There's no doubt. Well,
2: listeners, if you do have any questions, preferably not about Nabil Fekir's buttocks, although Darren will, <laughs> will endeavour to, to answer them, you can. To investigate. You, you can contact us. You can email your question in. Our email address is leaguearmpodcast at gmail.com. Now, league 1 is written uh, league L-I-G-U-E 1, the number, podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Or you can go uh, on to uh, at league one underscore E-N-G and you can uh, send your questions in with the hashtag league one podcast That almost concludes Housekeeping. Our, our latest pod. But, before we go, we're going to take you on a little voyage. It's our Bon Voyage segment at the end of the show. We look ahead to next weekend's games and uh, I'm going to hand over to Robbie. Now, Robbie, where would you
1: like to go next weekend? I will be at the Parc des Princes, obviously. Um, off. It's not far from here. What a surprise. It's about uh, a kilometre and a half here from where we are recording this podcast. I'm heading out to the training ground in, in a couple of minutes time for off. a press conference with uh, Thomas Tuchol. Um, I will be at the Parc des Princes. I would have uh, enjoyed saying because it's going to be a huge party and it's against our biggest rivals here in France, Uh, the classic Paris Saint-Germain versus Marseille. Paris with an incredible record over the last few years as well. Haven't lost at home to Marseille since 2009. Um, Everything was pointing towards this being a fantastic evening for Paris Saint-Germain. Now I would suggest people to tune in or get to the game if you can because I think we're going to see... Just a a rare insight in its natural habitat of of how a French fan can turn, possibly not against his club, but against his players or her players. Is
2: is, is there going to be a grève d'encouragement? Because sometimes they do this in France. They love a a grève, which is a strike. And the fans in Everyone in France loves a strike. You don't have to be a football fan to love a strike. (laughs) They've been talking
1: about not encouraging their team, i.e., staying silent. I think we can expect that it was one of uh, I remember when I first arrived in France in two thousand and I went to the Parc des princes I uh, got my season ticket um at at very little expense at that time and sitting in the at the end behind the goal and uh nobody cheering, nobody saying anything I was a little bit confused because the atmosphere in the Parc des princes back in those days was quite something to behold and uh then someone explained to me I didn't want to speak too much English because at times it could get a little bit touchy there as well um. An amazing experience and a first time for me to see fans on strike. I suspect we could see fans on strike. We could see fans overtly angry against their side. And I think it's something the players will have to accept because the players need redemption. And the only way that they can find redemption for what happened last Wednesday night is on the pitch. It's by beating Marseille. Perhaps they're lucky that it's Marseille because they have the the fans and the players have a common enemy in this case, which is uh, Olympique de Marseille, Parc des Princes, Sunday night, 9 o'clock, I'll be there. Bon voyage. We will have in-depth analysis
2: on PSG Marseille in Le Beaujeur podcast next week. We'll also hear more from Raphael, the, uh, the Lyon player who has given us uh, an exclusive interview. That concludes the latest edition of Le Beaujeur podcast from Darren Tullet, David Crossant, Robbie Thompson and uh, me, Matt Spiro. It's time to say goodbye. We will see you again very soon.
1: Ciao, ciao.
2: Au revoir. Au
3: revoir. Au revoir. Oh, what a goal! And Kylian wraps it up.